I don't know if you know what it's like to sit there and watch yourself on video, but it's not fun. Uh, so this morning we're continuing our series called The Disruptor. And we know that God becomes a disruptor in many of our lives in a good way. But we also know that there's things that he wants to do in us that disrupts the status quo, the way that we're living, and the things that we're doing, the things that we're going through. And so this morning we're going to be talking about disruptive joy. Disruptive joy. Good morning, everyone, by the way. I'm Pastor John, just in case uh, you don't know who I am. We're happy to have you with us here this morning. Last week, we, uh, we talked about disruptive compassion. And the biggest question that I had you thinking through, that I wanted you to kind of meditate on over this past week, is do you see people as a doctor or as a judge? Do you see people as a doctor or as a judge? Meaning... Do you see people as a doctor when you look at them and say they're in need of healing? Or do you see people as a judge when you believe that they're in need of judgment? And that's the question I wanted you to chew on a little bit last week because we talked about that would really identify your level of compassion. Mark 2.17 was the, the verse that we were kind of working through. And it says when Jesus heard this, in other words, he was with all these different tax collectors and they were saying, why is he hanging out with those sinful people? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. This week we're going to be talking about disrupting joy. And there's one thing that we can all use more of these days, and that's joy. Amen. Now, joy defined, I don't really like the definition when I looked it up, but it says a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. A feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And the reason why I don't like that definition is because it's based on feeling. But a biblical definition is a little bit different than just the straight-out definition in a dictionary. Because we know that true joy is more than just a feeling, because our feelings can go like this. Our feelings can go up and down. But the biblical definition is choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction. Choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about contentment in just a moment. But we know that we can have joy because that we know that God can use the experiences that we're going through, the things that we're facing, to accomplish his work in our lives. God uses those circumstances, and because of that, even when we go through tough times, there can be joy in the midst of that. See, joy is being replaced by things that are poor substitutes. You see, many people are just merely looking to be happy. And we know that happiness is short-lived. You might be happy when you buy that new car. But it doesn't last long, does it? And be happy when you buy that new house, new TV. And be happy when your team wins the Super Bowl, but it doesn't last forever. It's, it's fleeting. It's fading. But that's what many people are searching for. They're searching for happiness. But we all know, as believers in Christ, that happiness is something that's going to go up and down with the tide. But it's not joy. Chuck Swindoll tells the story about a, a man who was standing behind a woman at the counter. 
She was checking out with her groceries, and he was well-dressed, and he had this facial expression that was quite stern, a very stone-faced man. And the woman glanced back at him a, a time or two as she was unloading the things from her basket. And finally, she was unable to restrain herself any longer, so she turned back to the man and said, Excuse me, but do you happen to be a minister? <laughs> Ouch. No, I am not, he replied. I've just been sick for a few weeks. What's the point of that story? See, there's a shortage of joy, even among people who should be the most joyful. And it seems like our reputation precedes us. You see, we can have more Bible studies, and we can have more prayer, and we can have more church attendance, and we can have more activity. But none of those things equal joy. And we can do all of those things without joy. Some of us can look, look like we have been baptized in lemon juice or maybe vinegar. <laughs> the scowl on our faces. The joy isn't showing. It doesn't tell others that we live differently or that we have a different source for our joy or our happiness. What does it seem, or why does it seem as if the joyful people, a lot of times in churches, are the exceptions rather than the rule. I'll confess, I confessed it this morning with our group as we prayed, that there's been many days throughout this pandemic where I have not felt very joyful. Is there anybody that can say that? Just Amen. I'm sure it's just me, right? You see, when we're going through tough times, when we're going through trial, it's good to have a healthy sense of humor to laugh, to enjoy being together. I think sometimes we think church has to be serious, and we have to have stone faces. We're not allowed to laugh. A lot of times we find ourselves laughing at each other, like me watching myself on video. That's fun. I was laughing. Thank you. I'm glad you're laughing at me. appreciate that. You see, we can all use a good laugh. I'll smile. I keep looking around, I don't know about you, but I keep looking around at all these masks. And who would have thought that this would be like two years ago? No one thought that. It's kind of funny. Now, now a mask actually has become a fashion piece. Like, hey, I like your mask. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> these days I try to look people in the eyes just because, you know, that's all you can see typically. And just try to smile under my mask to see if they notice. Or they just kind of walk by with their head down. In student ministry, I used to talk to students about dropping their masks, right? Instead of coming in with all the stuff that they're pretending to be, just to be authentic and to be who they truly are. And this takes a whole new meaning these days, doesn't it? Proverbs 15:13 says, A glad heart makes a happy face. But a broken heart crushes the spirit. See, this problem goes right to the heart of the problem. We're not talking about a person, a person's faith here, as much as we're talking about the heart. Internal joy goes public. Amen. It shows, even if it's a smile under a mask. You can't hide it. See, a cheerful, glad heart serves the rest of the body. It makes us makes us think better. And it's important to have a well-developed sense of humor. 
It's important to have a well-balanced personality. And many people think that uh, you just can't enjoy things. It's not okay. Everything has to be serious. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it's okay to laugh and it's okay to smile. And even through everything that we've been through, it's not over. We know that. We can enjoy life. Life is too short to live in drudgery. We need to make the most of our time. Proverbs 17.22, a cheerful heart, other translations will say a joyful heart, is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. I have definitely felt that. Those exact words, saps a person's strength. I felt that way, a long day. Strength is gone. A joyful heart causes healing. I've been living in my prayer time and been praying for different people, specifically for healing and things like that, but for salvation as well. In my prayer time, I've been trying to visualize what I'm praying. When I'm praying for people with cancer, I've been visualizing these cancer cells retreating. I'm praying for somebody with a tumor, I'm visualizing that tumor shrinking. Sometimes I'm even doing this again. Visualizing the salvation of his returning home. A joyful heart causes healing. What heals our emotions? What brings healing to our soul? It's a joyful heart. And when the heart is right, the joyful face accompanies it. Mm. You see, in worship, we can sing songs of joy like glorious! Shout it out! Glorious! But still, our faces look like we've just buried a rich relative that gave all their money to their dog. <laughs> pretty sad. It's okay to smile and worship. It's okay to be joyful in our worship, in our expression of worship. That's who you are. But sometimes, even, even with, the, with the girls up here, I put a sign on their, on their stand on Sunday. It says, smile is my favorite. Had the you know, buddy the elbow. I love smiling. It's important that when we're worshiping the Lord and we're singing songs of joy, that we're joyful. I'm not asking you to act it, you know, not an acting thing, but that joy that's within your heart should be showing. If we want to live a life of disruptive joy, we will need to understand the value of joy. There are appropriate times, of course, of grief and sadness. And we all grieve. We all grieve over the things that we've seen in our nation. We all grieve over the lives that have been lost. We all grieve over those that have lost their lives. And so there's an appropriate time for that. Because we know that life isn't perfect, and things around us that we see are not perfect. But we're not to camp there and stay there. See, the pandemic doesn't look like the whole. There's still a call on Christ's people. There's still a as follows. That has not changed. So how do we keep the day? The first thing I would say to do is what do you focus on? What do you focus on? Is it all bad news? Is it everything that has gone wrong in your life? I've been there. I've recited it over and over and over again. Is it the pandemic numbers, the deaths, the number of people hospitalized? Maybe it's politics, maybe it's finances. 
What are the things that continually weigh you down to take your focus off of God's goodness and put your focus on everything that's going wrong? There's a, a band called Run Collective, and they do this song called Counting Every Blessing. And I think that's a good exercise for us. When we feel that heaviness, to look at our lives and truly count the number of blessings that God has given us day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month after month, year after year, he's been faithful. And he's shown himself faithful to us, counting every blessing. We have a roof over our heads, most of us, food in the cabinets, water to drink, heat to keep warm. We have our family, we have our church. We can be thankful, we can be grateful, we can be appreciative. But what is the secret to keeping that joy? One word, that secret is contentment. Contentment. The secret of keeping your joy, the Apostle Paul gives the secret out. It's no longer a secret because he wrote it. The Apostle Paul, he suffered through many things. We know that he was whipped, he was stoned and left for dead, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned. He also had this thing that he called the thorn in the flesh that he asked that God would take away. And God said that my strength is shown in your weakness. He also had many victories, though. He had many people that came to know Jesus Christ through his testimony and through his life. We see the transformation that was done in his life that, that made him, took him from a persecutor to the persecuted. We saw healings that were performed in the name of Christ. Demons were cast out of people. Churches were planted so here's what he says in his letter to the Philippian church, where he opens up and tells him his secret of keeping his joy. This is a secret I've been thinking about all along. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 12. This is Paul speaking. He says, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. So this is not a very popular theme in our culture, bent on having the next, greatest, and newest gadget. You see, much of marketing is meant to get you to be dissatisfied with what you have and create this desire to buy it. That's why billions of dollars are spent on advertising each year. And if you say too many things close to your focus, you can see ads. That very thing you're speaking of. It's kind of scary. scary. I'll have to look at it. But the secret is being content with what you have, not always focused on what you don't have. We can all fall into this comparison trap. I wish I had what they have. Well, the Bible calls it this. The Bible calls it covenant. It is part of the Ten Commandments, part of the Big Ten. Exodus 20, 17 says, You must not covet your neighbor's house. Guilty. <laughs> you must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey or car, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. You see, whether you have a lot or you have a little, being content is the key. Being thankful. Being thankful for what you do have. You may be thinking, well, this is impossible to live out. Because Paul gives us more words of encouragement here. He exposes more of the secrets to living this way. Notice he says a couple of things. One, he says, I have learned 
the secret of living in every situation. This means that it did not come naturally for Paul. Many Bible scholars believe that Paul came from a wealthy family. This is why he also had Roman citizenship and was well-educated under the, uh, the mentoring of some of the top Jewish scholars of the day. Because he had money. He had to learn the secret. It wasn't something that came naturally. And just like with all of us, there was a learning process involved. There was something he had to learn over time. For some of us, we go through the same test over and over again. For some of us, we learn a little bit faster. Sometimes we have to repeat those lessons. But Paul goes on to give the real secret of what he does to keep his contentment. In other words, his superpower. It's in Philippians 4.13. He says, For I can do everything in Christ which strengthens me. So Christ gives him the strength to be content no matter what situation he may be in. See, many people use this as a life verse, and I have as well. The first verse, this is the first verse I've memorized in the King James Version Bible. For I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's my favorite word, strengtheneth. I believe God would and God did give me strength in every life situation. And that is part of the meaning of this verse, but in context, what it's specifically referring to is that God is giving us the strength to be content. He's giving us the strength to be content when it's difficult to be content. When you have an empty stomach, when the bills pile up, when you're struggling in your health, when your family doesn't look like you wanted it to look, when the job wasn't quite what you thought it would be, when life throws lemons at you, learn to be content because you can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Yes, you can be content in the middle of the storm. You can be thankful with what you have. You can be joyful. Why? Because He gives you the strength to be joyful in the midst of whatever you're facing. My challenge to you this morning is don't allow circumstances to steal your joy. Amen. And yes, it's okay to laugh. Recover that sense of humor. Look at the world today. There's plenty of things to laugh at. <laughs> Be content. Let your joy show on your face, even if it's covered by a mask. Now this morning as we're preparing to close, you may be listening and whether you're here in this congregation or you're watching online, and you have lost your joy, your struggle for life, and you're depressed. Maybe there's some value that you can expect. Life seems pointless. I can tell you this morning the first step that your joy is to know the joy of Joy giver is Jesus Christ. He is our strength. He is the one that gives us the ability to face anything. And God's offer of salvation is not costly in terms of finances. You don't have to pay anything for it. It's free. The only thing that requires is your life. 
morning, if you're struggling, you can have this deep sense of joy in your life. And Christ working in and through you. You can experience his salvation and be free of the burden and the shame and the guilt of your sin. Because he died, we can all be forgiven. Because he died, we can live a life of joy. We should be the most joyous people in the world. And because he rose from the dead, you and I can have new life. See, God loved us so much that he became human. God became man in Jesus Christ to find you and to find me. To seek you out and to save those that are lost. He didn't come for those who thought that they were lost. He came for those that were saved. And that's our calling as a church. To not see people as a judge, as a doctor. But this morning you would say, I want to take a, a, a new step with Christ. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's a rededication of your life. I simply want you to say this prayer with me. There's nothing magical about the words. It's a matter of the heart, just like we were talking about today with joy. Joy is a matter of the heart. And it's truly meaning. You can pray this prayer with me. You can say it quietly. You can say it out loud, however you choose to do it this morning. Lord Jesus, I come before you today recognizing my need for you. Please forgive my sin and help me to live my life for you. Help me to follow you all the days of my life, beginning today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I just want to encourage you if that if you said that prayer this morning, maybe you rededicated your life and you gave your life this morning to Christ, maybe for the first time. That's a first step in you believe that you're a follower of Christ and you truly mean that prayer. But we know that being a disciple of Christ takes a, takes a little more than that. It takes a, some further steps. It's more than just saying a prayer. And I want to encourage you, if you have a, a smartphone, you can download a, an app called YouVersion. In it, you can find a devotion called First Steps for New Believers. And that's just a way to begin to grow your faith. And I want to encourage you, if you're local, to find that Bible believing church, of course, you're welcome here on Sunday at 10. If you're not local, that you can find a church in your area that would be a great place to continue to learn and grow your faith. I'm going to ask the congregation this morning to stand with me as I read this last passage over us. We declare this together. So let's go ahead and stand. In John chapter 15, 9 through 12, it says, and this is Jesus speaking, said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with more joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I love you. My challenge to you this morning is the same challenge that Jesus gave to his disciples long ago in John 15. To love one another. To allow his overflowing joy, joy to fill you up and to pass that joy to others. God bless you. Mm -hmm. Let's live a life of joy this week.